Welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. Cynthia Hyatt is a Christian psychotherapist specializing in trauma therapy, couples, relationships, and personal development. She is passionate about your life and is here to encourage, teach, and inspire you to be your own best version. Find her online at CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T dot com. Now, with today's fresh insights, Cynthia Hyatt. Well, welcome to Conversations with Cynthia, and happy Monday. And we have a big week this week. We are talking all about words and the power of words and what we do with words and really understanding words. And so when we think about communicating, it may seem a contradiction to spend so much time on verbal communication because many studies indicate that really only 7% of all communication is verbal. Now, we have some different differences of opinions about this, but they are really finding that there's a lot about body language. And this accounts for about 55% of our communication. Tone and vocal inflection, the hesitations, the pacing, or what we call the delivery. This accounts for about 38%. And then followed by the spoken word again, accounting for maybe 7%. And this is why you can look across the room and you don't hear what anybody's saying, but you get an idea of what's going on in that communication those people are having simply by their body language, the intensity, the rate, how fast they're moving, how slow they're moving, if they're moving towards someone, away from someone. And so words, the reason, though, that we are going to talk about words is the effect they have on your brain. This is what is so powerful. What words do to our brain, to our soul, to our heart and what God really says about the Word. And he said, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So it's understanding that th- this concept of hum- communication is really managing the overt part and the covert part of my communication, as well as recognizing, identifying these two aspects in other people. So it's imperative when communicating that I'm aware of another's covert and overt communication variables. Otherwise, I might miss the point completely or get offended, confused, or hurt. And so this goes with the teaching um, regarding gender and temperament differences when I give that one. And we are going to spend a week as well on gender and temperament. So this idea is that the covert and overt part of communication is also different between men and women. And, and I'll give you a little quick one on gender. When I'm doing any kind of executive business coaching with women, I'm constantly having to remind them when they are talking with a man to stop nodding their head. Because, see, women nod their head up and down with other women, with anybody they're talking to, as a way to say, I'm tracking, I'm listening, that we're saying, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, oh, yeah, mm-hmm, uh-huh, because we're encouraging them to continue talking. Well, I say to them, if you do that with a man, they automatically think you're agreeing with them. So you need to be very careful because if you look at men in a boardroom, they sit very still and they give nothing away when they're listening. And so women, it makes us anxious because we are so wanting connection that we are constantly saying, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Are you tracking? Does that make sense? Do you get that? 
So it's really important that you understand what words are being used for. So as we discuss this covert and overt phenomenon, I'm sure you can relate to the feeling that the words said one thing, but the way in which the information was communicated or how it felt said something entirely different. This is why it's imperative that we understand that words are overt or concrete and the delivery is considered the subtleties or the covert part of the message. So think about the wink or the nod when you're talking with someone in the company of others. You know, you know that look when you're listening to somebody and then you kind of look at someone else, you're like, seriously, Do you get, are you kidding me now? Right? Or we kind of wink like, yeah, we get what's going on while the other person is, is talking. And so it's that icy, sarcastic tone of a compliment while the pleasing words are being spoken. It's like, okay, you complimented me with words, but it sure didn't feel like a compliment. It felt like maybe you were saying something very different. And so think about the time when you liked what you heard, but after you walked away and you thought about it, you had this kind of suspicious or unsettled feeling. It's like, how come I enjoyed that conversation, but now I feel kind of sick? I feel kind of anxious. I feel kind of weird. Like, was that really what I thought it was? So this is called incongruence. When we talk about abuse and dysfunction in childhood, we realize that we are taught to either ignore what someone is doing. It's the do as I say, not as I do. Or we may be taught not to trust our gut. For example, this is a good person. They wouldn't lie to me. They wouldn't manipulate me. Or the dilemma of the good person who really wants to mean what they say but is unable to follow through. This is a lot of times is codependency. I'm going to say what you want to hear because I don't want to be in conflict with you and, I want to, and I'm people-pleasing, but I'm really not going to do it. So I'm going to find a way out of it or an excuse. And so the person that says, yeah, that sounds great. Let's do it again. Let, let's go to lunch next time. And then you ne- they never call you. And so what, what we want to think about is this incongruency or being divided within ourselves. So many times we've heard words that have harmed, sometimes from parents, sometimes friends, high school. We can be very cruel in high school. And if we're not careful we may even actually believe the word. And the word then changes us, changes my outlook. And so we can get that, and and it's difficult to undo that. So as we continue on this journey of being your own best version, we find out that one of the qualities of an individual who is really truly their own best version is that they mean what they say, they say what they mean. And... They speak it in love, even if it's painful. And so no matter how much assertiveness is necessary, it's still spoken in love. So this leads us to this question, why words? Why are they so important? Well, number one, they are the starting point for establishing reality and or truth. Because we know, if you've listened to any of my shows, the difference between reality and truth. Truth is always true. Truth is absolute. Truth reveals itself over time. And truth sets us free. Reality, though, is transient. So it can feel like it's true. But maybe it's, it's not. So the truth is always going to find itself out. So this is the starting point for establishing reality or reality I want to create. 
which may mean that I'm wanting to create a reality for you that is pleasant, that is pleasing, that is comfortable, that is safe. And so I do this with clients. The first session they have with me, I'm wanting to make sure that that reality is, is that experience is going to cause them to feel safe enough to come back. And then what they find is that over time, that reality is also true, that my office is a safe place. It's a very safe place. So the second thing is speaking words are part of being made in the image of God. So when we talk more about words this week, we're going to be talking about that words either construct something, build something, create something, or they destroy something or harm. So they either bring healing or they bring hurt and harm. So words are very powerful in what they create. So words set us apart from the rest of the creation. It's, it's, it is responding and reacting as a human. Animals have a language, but they don't have necessarily words. They don't do entire, they don't write books, right? They don't write plays. So they communicate for different reasons. We use words not only to communicate, but to build and construct things, to tear things down, to create a reality, to support a truth. We use it as a creative endeavor. We do it to express our ideas. So there's lots of reasons that we are are using words, and that sets us apart from the rest of the creation. It's human. This is why Jesus, the Word, became a human. So words or language is a primary mode for connecting for humans. It's the starting point. Like we talked about, there's many other parts to the communication process. The overt part is the words. The covert part is supposed to support the words. So words create intimacy as well. They allow our soul, our spirit, and our mind to be expressed. They connect us or they divide us. So if you've ever watched a pantomime or spoken with someone that does not speak your language, you see how quickly, how much work goes into figuring out what they're trying to say. And, and we start to use our hands a lot, don't we? Or we start to talk louder. And, and, and we start to, to try to draw things. Or what, what. And so words we take for granted oftentimes. So we see in John, the first chapter, verse 1, what the Lord is revealing to us about the power of words. He says, the word became flesh. The first example regarding the significance of words. This, this idea that God takes words so seriously that Jesus is referred to as the word. He's the word. He's all knowledge. He's all creation. He's all, he's all that. He's all God. And we see in the first chapter and second and third chapter of Genesis the way that God created his world was by speaking it into existence. And we see that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So the second example of the significance of words, when we see in Genesis, like we said, the first chapter, it uses words, and it reads, God said 13 times. And then he directed Adam to speak. So Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 24, God said 13 times. So the third verse, it says, and God said, let there be light. There was light. The sixth verse, and God said, let there be 
a vault between the waters to separate water from water. The ninth verse says, And God said, Let there be water under the sky to be gathered to one place, and let dry ground appear. And it was so. And God called the dry ground land, and he gathered the waters, and he called it seas. And he saw that it was good. So he's naming these things. Words name things. And then the eleventh verse, it says, And God said, Let the land produce vegetation. And then there was evening and there was morning the third day. Verse um, 16 says, And God said, Let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. And it was so. Verse 20 said, And God said, Let the water teem with living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. God blessed them and said, be fruitful, increase in number, and fill the water in the seas, and let the birds increase on the earth. And verse 24, it says, And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds. Livestock, creatures moved along the, the ground, wild animals, each according to its kind. Verse 28 said, And God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky and over the livestock and wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his image. And then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number. And verse then, 29 said, And God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the earth, every tree. This will be yours for food. And then God commanded the man in Genesis chapter 2. He says, you can eat from every tree in the garden except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from it. The moment you eat from the tree, you're dead. So God used the words to create things, to establish things, and to make things safe. And so it's important that we recognize the power of words, that they create things. So the third significance of words that we find, the third example of communicating with words and the power therein is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. This scene shows again how words are used to establish something, a reality, a concept, a directive, to clarify how we are made in the image of God that John chapter 1, verse 1, how words are part of responding as a human, how our words allow us to express our soul. And Jesus, and this is, this is in the Garden of Gethsemane, this says, and Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he said, he was troubled and he began to be sorrowful. And he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here. Keep watch with me. And then he said to God, he said, my father, if it's possible, may this, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. So we see that words are part of expressing our emotions, our dreams, our hopes, our fears. It's a way that we connect with people. It's a way that we command something to occur. 
It's a way that we help people to be safe. So there, there is a book that I want to make you familiar with, and it's called Words Can Change Your Brain. And if you've heard any of my shows before, you've heard me talk about this book because it has studied the power of words on your brain and why God takes words so seriously and why we are to respect words and not misuse words. And so in this book, Words Can Change Your Brain, a neuroscientist and a psychotherapist did, did this, this research. They've also done a second book, which I really like. It's called How God Can Change Your Brain. So what, what they came to find is that in the center of your brain, there's this walnut-shaped structure. It's called the thalamus. And it relays sensory information about the world outside to other parts of your brain. So when we imagine something, this information is also sent to the thalamus. And the research that these guys came up with found that the thalamus treats sauce and fantasies in the same way. It processes sounds, tastes, images, and touch. So it treats, it treats these thoughts and fantasies the same way it processes sounds, tastes, tastes, images, and touch. And so it doesn't distinguish between the inner and outer realities. This is extremely important that you understand your brain does not know the difference. This thalamus does not know the difference between the inner reality and your outer reality. So if you think you're safe, the rest of your brain assumes you're safe. If you think it, the rest of your brain goes along with it. But if you ruminate on imaginary fears or self-doubt, your brain presumes that there may be real threat in the outside world. So our language-based thoughts shape our consciousness. This is really important. And consciousness shapes the reality we perceive. Now, this is exactly what God is saying in the scriptures. We are now scientifically finding this out. They found this out. They said our language-based thoughts, the thalamus, takes this word. You think on the word danger, hate, hurt, harm, fear, any of these types of words. And your brain then buys into that word and presumes that your outside world is that. Hurtful, harmful, dangerous, scary, mean. And so you need to choose your words wisely. We have the the scriptures that say, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, taking every thought captive that it doesn't exalt itself above Christ. That means that my thinking and my interpretation of the world and my opinions are not bigger than God. It says in, in Proverbs 23, 7, For as a man thinketh within, so he is. This is what these scientists are finding out. The way you think is what will become. Then your words from that original thought begin creating things in your outside world. So if I think the word hurt, people hurt me, people are scary, people are mean, guess what begins to happen? Outside of me, I begin to perceive every person I interact with as possibly mean, hurtful, and scary. How do you think I'm going to respond to them? Do you think I'll be relaxed? No, I'll be defensive. That will be the impression they get of me. They will make an assumption then about me. 
this is how things get extremely complicated. So the longer, what the research shows is that the longer you concentrate on positive words, the more you begin to affect the other areas of your brain. So let's say it functions in the, now I'm going to get a little scientific on you, but I think it's kind of exciting. So the functions in the parietal lobe start to change, which changes your perception of yourself and the people you interact with. So if I have a positive view of me, if I choose to think about me the way God thinks about me, the parietal lobe kicks in, takes that perception, and starts to then change the way I interact with people. A positive view of myself biases me towards seeing positive things in other people. So my inner world is created outside, whereas a negative self-image will incline you towards suspicion and doubt. And, And over time, the structure of the thalamus will also change in response to your conscious words, your thoughts and your feelings. And, and these scientists believe that the thalamic change, these thalamic changes affect the way we perceive reality. So if you've ever talked with someone and they went to an event, you went to the same event, and their perception of it was completely different than your perception. So what happens is if you repeatedly focus on the word peace, saying it out loud or silently, you will then begin to experience a sense of peacefulness in yourself and in others. And you will be a more peaceful person. So the thalamus responds to that incoming message of peace, relays it to the rest of the brain, and you get pleasure chemicals like dopamine. That gets released and the reward system of your brain will be stimulated. Anxieties and doubts start to fade away and your entire body relaxes. Now, I'm not talking about someone that has a clinical anxiety disorder, although this does help. I, I, when I work with people that have anxiety disorders, we really work hard on the way they think and creating a better mental hygiene. And so the, the most recent studies show that this kind of exercise, thinking over long periods of time about compassion, about peace, increases the thickness of your neocortex and shrinks the size of the amygdala. And the amygdala, if you've ever heard me talk about this, we know this is the fight, flight, or freeze. This is where we get this wash of adrenaline. And so what, what God is saying is you be healthy with your words and your brain actually gets stronger the way you perceive the entire world changes, the way you perceive yourself, your tolerance increases for negative feelings, right? Which we talked about, that's what adults do. They can, they can tolerate negative feelings. This means if I consistently think in these ways, when someone is not nice to me, I am much better able to tolerate that feeling. It doesn't take me down as low. And it doesn't cause me to change my moral code or my value system. It helps me to stay polite to this person that is being kind of snotty and, and mean to me. So words are very important. So we're coming to the end of this hour, and I want you to really think about words and the way you think and the way you think about things. Is it true? Is it true or is it just real to you? This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. I'm so glad you joined me today. We're talking about words again tomorrow, more words, how they affect you, what to use them for, and how to do it well. 
Make sure you check out the website at CynthiaHyatt.com. You can listen to yesterday's show and all the shows. And that you make sure you tune in tomorrow and have a blessed rest of your day and choose your words wisely. God bless. To hear today's program again or to share it with someone else, please go online, CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T dot com. Conversations with Cynthia is heard daily at 3 p.m. and 12 noon every Sunday on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. Follow Cynthia on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Cynthia Hyatt. Until next time, remember, be your own best version. Yeah.